The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. In this episode, Gail Woody will tell us how to attract more butterflies and then keep them coming to your garden. She has been studying these flying jewels for many years and regularly attracts up to 38 different species to her garden. Monarch butterflies make regular visits to her garden twice a year on their migration treks from Mexico to Canada and back again. She raises and tags new monarchs each year, helping increase and study the growing population. Gail has been gardening for over 30 years, creating the perfect ecosystem for butterflies, hummingbirds, and native plants. Her passion for gardening is contagious. After listening to this episode, there will be no excuses. Building and growing your own butterfly paradise will become a priority. Gail Woody is an ISA certified arborist and is a seasoned advanced master gardener. She speaks and writes on butterflies, hummingbirds, and native plants, among other garden subjects. This is episode 68, Attracting More Butterflies to Your Garden with Gail Woody, and is an updated and remix of episode 2. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Yeah, I'm often in a garden somewhere, and inevitably there'll be a butterfly that'll fly by. And there's something about that butterfly that makes you just want to stop in your track and just demand your attention. What is it about butterflies that have that effect on us? I think other than the fact that it looks like flowers with wings flying around, I think a butterfly signifies everything nature is. All of the changes in your garden, the metamorphosis of a butterfly, they mean so much to me. I've read that the Texas border, the Rio Grande North, there's, there's over 750 butterfly species in that area. In our area, Georgia, has 160. How many of those species can we hope to get to our backyard? Craig, I'm glad you asked that question because it might surprise you the number of species I have in my backyard. A lot of people think, like there's some at butterfly houses, you think, well, you never see those here, but I had the zebra longwing again this summer. I have the giant swallowtail. Both of those are more Florida. The zebra longwing is Florida State butterfly. I've had those butterflies two or three years in a row because I have the host plant they need for the four things that wildlife need in your backyard. You're north of Florida at least four and a half hours. And so that's pretty amazing that you can attract butterfly from Florida all the way up into your backyard just by having the plant that they're searching for. How do you know what plants they're looking for? The plants that a butterfly needs has to be a native to raise their young. Most butterfly species will come in your backyard and spend the day nectaring. 
they're looking for their host plant to lay their eggs. That is the only host plant each species will lay their eggs on. We just have a wealth of information out there showing you all the species that are native to our area, the ones that do migrate through. Monarchs Cross Georgia has some great information, not just on the monarch, but all butterfly, butterfly gardening. There's just a wealth of information out there to be able to find for butterfly gardening. I want to get started attracting butterflies to my home. How do I get started on that? The first thing that butterflies are going to look for is just almost like honeybees and other insects. They love lots of different nectar and plant with color. In the summer, I have plants that are non-native. You can attract butterflies with just pots of flowers outside. You don't have to start out big. A lot of good, colorful plants that butterflies use for nectaring. When you can draw insects and bees to your backyard, you will know you've started. Then you want to decide that you're going to want to keep them at your house. You don't want them leaving your backyard. You want them to stay with you and not just fly away because that's what they'll do if they don't have the shrubs, trees, or the plants they need to lay eggs on because ultimately mating and laying their eggs is their goal. Do your research. You want to plant a tree, a pawpaw tree, a wild cherry tree. Numerous butterflies lay their eggs on a wild cherry tree. Even vegetables you grow attract butterflies. See how many black swallowtails lay their eggs on your parsley. It's just absolutely amazing what you can do. They love huddling places. This is where they get the minerals and nutrients and water they need. Butterflies love to play in the mud. You don't have a creek. You can make a puddling bowl. Buy a plastic dishpan, punch some holes in it. Set it down a little bit below the ground level, put dirt and sand, and keep it moist in the summer. Some of the most beautiful pictures I've ever made have been in a little puddle, mud spot that I created in my backyard. Think about this. A lot of our listeners, probably as young people, remember driving across creeks, whether it was in a vehicle, on old dirt roads. Notice all the butterflies that are on the side of the bank of that old muddy spot. Even creeks today, you'll see butterflies fly up when you walk across them. They are getting minerals and nutrients for their bodies. If you can see that butterfly on a real heavy magnified camera, you could see them shooting the excess water out of their bottoms, keeping the minerals and salts they need to survive. Butterflies need water. Water, minerals, and then you've got the host plant that they're laying their eggs on is really a key in it. That's right. Actually, we probably should have started by saying all insects, butterflies included, to have a wildlife backyard habitat for butterflies, you must have four things. You must have food, water, shelter, and a place to raise their young. Those are the four key things you need in your backyard, whether it's a butterfly or you have birds coming in and all types of wildlife. For them to stay in your backyard, they need all four. The plants are the food that they lay their eggs on. Where they get their food, they nectar, but the real food is when that egg emerges a caterpillar. That caterpillar is going to eat all the leaves, so got to have the exact correct plant because some are host-specific, one host plant. If you want that butterfly, you got to have that host plant. Numerous butterflies have two or three host plants that they will lay their eggs on. You've got your beautiful flowers for them to nectar on. They'll mate in your backyard. Then they're going to lay their eggs on the food plant for their babies. The babies are larvae or caterpillar, right? That's right. 
Butterflies have to have a place to get under leaves of trees or shrubs. If it comes a storm or raining or heavy winds, and if the temperature hasn't made it to 70 degrees, the shelter for a butterfly is hanging under leaves on trees and shrubs. Okay. We don't need to treat these caterpillars like my dad always treated snakes. To him, every snake was a bad snake. No matter how much I tried to talk him into not killing that snake, he would always want to kill it. Caterpillars is kind of like you want to squish it. We don't want to do that if we want butterflies in our backyard. They're going to be some type of butterfly or maybe a moth. That's right. And moths are going to feed our birds. And understandable in some parts of Georgia, especially South Georgia, where you have your big farms, the beautiful yellow sulfurs that we have floating around that are so gorgeous. You have the dog face. We've got them during the winter. They are considered a pest in South Georgia because that's mass producing. They love soybeans. They do a lot of damage there. For us, they do no damage. They're just beautiful, and you'll see them in early spring, all through the summer, the fall. It's just a constant butterfly here. If you put out pesticides, you can't have a butterfly. You can't use neem oil. You can't use insecticidal soaps. An egg won't survive it, and neither will a caterpillar. We want to be careful. We want to keep our caterpillars because not only are we feeding our songbirds, we are allowing them to go into chrysalis and metamorphosize into more butterflies. It's just a continuous cycle all summer. Before you know it, you'll have more butterflies than you know what to do with. If I've got my garden and I've got caterpillars in there, what do I need to do? Just grow some extra cabbage or whatever for the butterflies? The uh, butterfly caterpillars do very little to no damage at all. They're not the kind of caterpillars that cabbage worms and all that eat up your cabbage. The main thing in Georgia people don't like is having the tomato hornworm. Mm -hmm. You know, that makes an amazing hummingbird moth. I pluck them off. I don't spray my vegetables and people are going to that more. I understand, and I try not to criticize the big farmers who are growing food for many, many people across the nation. However, in your own backyard, you know, there's really no reason to use poisons. You're just indiscriminately killing honeybees and other wonderful insects. My passion is to encourage people, put on a pair of gloves and pluck them off if you don't like the tomato hornworm. I certainly don't like them eating up my tomato plants either. I pluck most of them and pitch them out in the yard for birds to save my tomato plants. But never, ever do I ever put insecticidal oils or anything on them, especially wanting to have a nursery. I have a butterfly nursery literally in my backyard, and I would like for four people to strive to do that as well. What is a butterfly nursery? That means you've got everything that butterfly needs. You've got food in your backyard. You have water for them in your backyard. You have a place for them to seek shelter and a place to raise young. You've got a nursery. In the summer, children come and I have pictures of them with caterpillars on their face and vines that are hanging in caterpillars and butterflies that are mating and seeing them lay eggs and knowing and counting the days and knowing when the eggs will emerge and there will be a caterpillar. And then in no time, there's chrysalis hanging all over our patio furniture and they emerge and the cycles just continue. And if you have that going on in your backyard, you have a butterfly nursery. For some reason, I thought it was just like one cycle per year. How many cycles can you get per year? Quite a few, because it doesn't take long to be able to have your butterflies. 
three or four weeks max, you started all over again and see them out here mating again and again. Got fritillaries, just a continuous cycle. Tiger swallowtail, Georgia state butterfly, the black swallowtail. I also have the most absolutely most beautiful butterflies in the brushfoot family. You have the red spotted purple, the viceroy that lay their eggs on a wild cherry tree. They all have a couple of cycles a year. Also, monarchs are the ones that come through in the spring. you got to have milkweed for them. They'll lay their eggs in the spring. They will emerge here. I will bring them in so I can release them in the spring and enjoy them. They'll do that two or three weeks in a row. I'll have a continuous cycle of monarchs for a while. Then they'll go all the way up to Canada. They don't come back until the fall. They come back in late September. Here we go again. I've got to have my milkweed good and fresh. I cut it off, let the new stalks come up, have it all up in time for the next cycle coming. As long as you have the plants out here, they will continue in your backyard to raise their babies. You've done some interesting things with the monarch. We have migration patterns. We know they go up to Canada and we know they go to Mexico. Is it multiple generations doing this or is it one butterfly making that whole trek to Canada or a whole trek to Mexico? How do you know that? Let's start with the ones that are on the tree in Mexico. Those migrated down in the fall, tagged 90 of them and sent them on their way. So they're down there on the trees. And of course, I've been there in January and February with them. When they start their migration back, they start turning loose uh, late February, early March and heading back this way. Some make it all the way back to our area here in West Georgia. Most do not. Most are at U.S. Mexican border, lower Texas, Florida, even the lower Gulf Coast. They will end up mating laying eggs there. Actually, they're mating in February, March. I've seen them mating down there and even seen chrysalis hanging down there in March. When they start up the U.S. coast, most of the time that one don't make it. It does some, but not always. It depends on when you see a monarch in your backyard in spring, like in March, and it looks really bad and tattered and it is about to die. You know, that one probably made it all the way from the Machoacan mountain range. The vast number don't make it all the way to this West Georgia area. And you have a monarch come lay eggs. They will keep laying eggs and die. The ones that emerge is going to be your second generation. They'll emerge here in my backyard. Before they make it all the way to Canada, they stop, of course, in nectar. They stop and breathe. They lay eggs again. By the time they make it to Canada, most of the time, it's four generations from the one that I saw on the trees in Mexico. They go a long way, but they are up to four generations there. When they head back, most of those coming out of Canada are news. New butterflies, they make it up to 2,800 to 3,000 miles all the way back to Mexico. Many stop, lay eggs again like they do here. I have a lot of eggs laid, raise a lot of monarchs on my back porch, send them on to Mexico. Those don't go quite as far as many thousands of miles. The ones that leave West Georgia in the fall, they're headed straight for the mountain range. They'll be newer than most of the others because of the difference. The same for Texas and that area. There'll be some that are just coming to West Georgia and turning around and going back, or are all of them trying to get down their northern migration? All are trying to get to Carrollton. I mean, (laughs) sorry, all of them in the spring. Yeah, they're all trying to get to me. All of them in the spring, their goal is to head north always. They go north for the summer. 
And we will have months here where unless there's a monarch been released, like, you know, somebody purchased some eggs or, or chrysalis, we will have hot summer months. Monarch is not something you see in this garden. I guess that's the reason I jump up. I'll be at the kitchen table looking out and I'll just can tell by the way the wings move. I will run fast as I can to see my first monarch in the fall. <laughs> so you, we've gone several months without a monarch. So seeing them when they arrive in yeah. late September is just, oh my, <laughs> it's unreal. <laughs> it's like my babies have come home. And even though they're not here, except for just to drop off and start laying eggs, sometimes they don't make it very long here. The monarchs that make it to Mexico live up to nine months. Butterflies in our backyard, our native butterflies here of those 160 species live maybe two weeks. Really? There oh. puts into perspective yeah. just how absolutely unbelievable monarch is. Not to mention the fact it is the only migrating butterfly that we know of that leaves such a migratory path. Yes, yes. I mean, we have butterflies, the sulfurs that go a little further south where it's a little bit warmer. But our Georgian native butterfly, the tiger swallowtail, she leaves her chrysalis here in the winter. Mm -hmm. And it's on um, the side of any tree, but mostly poplars. It's very difficult to see because it looks like a little broken piece of branch. But that's why you see our tiger swallowtail so soon, because huh. we have numerous chrysalis I have out here now, hanging off the side of pots and pans in my shed that are chrysalis that overwinter here. But a monarch, it does not overwinter here. It leaves the country and goes to a perfect microclimate on the mountain range in uh, the middle of Mexico. That's really amazing. Our native butterflies, what is their range? Like from your backyard... Would they just pretty much hang there, or are they going to go a couple of miles away? Or what What kind of range are we looking at? If I don't have what they need, they're going to go a couple of miles away. My neighbors all complain. They say the reason they don't have butterflies and hummingbirds is because they're all in Gail Woody's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody says. Oh, boy. But truly, it's about having what they need. Zinnias is something that's not native. They're not invasive. They are only annuals. They only last for the summer. I pick my seeds if I can beat the goldfinch to them. I keep my seeds reseed because they are such a favorite of uh, every species of butterfly loves them. Some of the prettiest pictures in the world and more species than sometimes I can't even keep up with all of them that are out here. But then, of course, you've got your butterflies that do not care for flowers, believe it or not. We've got some magnificent butterflies that really you need to throw your old watermelon, cantaloupe rind, and grapevine, old dried-up grapes, and scuppernongs, and actually even love animal dong. Huh. Keep a special place for those butterflies. We really have some amazing butterflies that just go straight to rotted fruit. I have those in my backyard. Red spotted purple is one folks could look that up and it would blow their mind. And you come closer to seeing it in a cow pasture than in your own backyard unless you leave some old rotted fruit out for it. However, we have so many native plants and asters created. In the fall, there's 
goldenrod, tremendous amount of beautiful native plants to attract butterflies to your yard. If you were going to have just rotted fruit, say on your back porch or whatever, would that draw butterflies in or do you still have to have host plants? Oh, yeah. It's only two or three species that I draw in with that. And I make sure I keep it at the edge of the yard for the purpose of you don't want to attract yellow jackets. And it will attract yellow jackets as well. Yeah. Well, I have some beautiful pictures of those butterflies with yellow jackets, but it's still a, a beautiful photo. Brings more of them in. You gotta have flowers for all but three or four species in our area need color. Instead of having a whole backyard starting out, I would recommend choose your place. Make a spot if you need to remove grass or whatever you need to do. Maybe make a six by six foot area, plant some seeds, let it come up from seeds, zinnias, asters, and of course get on the native plant website and the Department of Natural Resources tells you butterfly by butterfly. It tells you what host plant it loves to lay eggs on, nectar plants. They'll nectar on almost anything. I've seen bananas. Would that be like the same thing as the rotten fruit you're talking about if you just put a banana or banana peel, something like that? Absolutely. Yes. The Viceroy loves it. Checker spots love it. Risbody purple. It's one of their favorites to have out there too. So I just keep all the rotted fruit and peelings and so forth and just make me an area where I keep it. And it's away from where I'm attracting any kind of unwanted insects. You'll have wasp on it and yellow jackets on it and honeybees will get on it as well. So it's kind of a neat trick to do too. And I guess you're composting, too, at the same time, aren't you? Absolutely. One thing back to the monarchs, and this is what I've wondered, is I've heard of people tagging butterflies, tagging monarchs. To me, in my mind, when I think about that, I think their aerodynamics are just going to mess up when you put any kind of tag on them, I would think, in my mind. But I know that's not true because you've tagged them. How do you tag a monarch butterfly? I let them dry out when I raise them before I tag them, of course, let the wings get good and dry. And there's a particular place on the back of their wings. We catch them off of plants, of course, and I hold them up with my index finger and my thumb and hold their wings together. You're not going to hurt them. Just gently hold them. And there is a place in the black line on each side of the wing underneath looks like a child's mitten. There is a place where you put the tag. They don't care. It doesn't bother them. They'll just fly away as fast as I release them. The tag has information. It has numbers on it. You have a tagging sheet. Each tag I pull, I write the information on it. I tell whether or not I raised it or if I caught it in the wild, whether it's a male or a female. And you can tell because the male of a monarch has a black little round pheromone spot you would be able to see the black place and start recognizing the male from the female. And you put the tiny tag on, I kiss her by (laughs) and let her go. She'll go up in the air in my backyard. She'll go around and around and get her bearings. And then she heads southwest so fast. It's so funny to watch them. You only do it in the fall. You don't want to do that in the springtime. You shouldn't have tags in the spring. If I have leftover tags, I trash them. What we do when we go to Mexico, we collect those. We give the people down there money. They have only certain people are allowed in that federal biosphere where the monarchs are. They call them the night fairies. And these people go in, and this helps their livelihood because they're very, very poor people. They are only the ones that are allowed to go in and carefully collect the monarch with the tags on them that have fallen on the floor. 
You can't touch any in the air. Any that die fall off the trees. You collect them and you find out if your monarch made it to the overwintering ground. Pretty neat. Hmm. Do you have any idea how many of yours have made it? No, I've not been told, but a friend of mine in Plains, Georgia, Mm -hmm. they sent her tag back to her, so she's a little further south than us. No, I've never, and we purchased so many this past February, you wouldn't believe how many we bought and brought back, but nobody contacted me yet. A hundred is about the most I've ever been able to catch and tag. The Eastern Seaboard of Monarchs, we don't have the amount that come down the middle of our country. Mm-hmm. Down the Ohio Valley, right in the middle of the country, crossing Texas, they have millions compared to us. In our area, for me to tag 100 is a big deal. I don't get to do the amount they do. So the odds are against me. I have banded a hummingbird that was located, and I got the call that that hummingbird was found two years later. But it wasn't my monarch. I keep waiting on the monarch. Yeah, yeah. It'll happen. It'll happen. They're pretty exciting. Butterflies are just so beautiful. They bring a smile to your face. For me, they represent hope, hope for the next year, hope for them to make it. Can you imagine the dangers that butterflies crossing the highway? I mean, just flying across the road, how many folks hit a a butterfly? All but the monarch. They have two weeks to survive, to give joy to nectar and raise their young. Then they start dying. And you see all of them that get hit. Animals get them and children get them. (laughs) That's hope. Hope that they'll make it to uh, start another generation. I didn't have any idea that butterflies had just a two-week lifespan. I was thinking it was a lot longer than that. You know, the reason that people think that they have a longer lifespan is because they're continuously laying eggs and regenerating and starting a new cycle of butterflies. All summer long, they're continuously doing that. So you don't really realize how important having a host plant for them to lay their eggs on is. That makes a lot of sense. I got a, a larger appreciation for a wild cherry tree now. I didn't have an appreciation for them until this conversation because in the landscape, my thought was they're not a pretty tree. Found out today that they're really important for butterflies. And you know what else are important? What? The bagworms in the fall. People hate a cherry tree because of the big bagworm balls. The amount of food those worms feed our birds. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we have are bats that are in trouble. Those moths are critical. And, you know, nobody wants that cherry tree as a specimen tree in their yard. Please, you can let them stay in the far reach of your property or wherever they are so critical. For me, my trees and plants and shrubs and flowers, they're out there for the butterflies. Yeah. The most magnificent pot find, a big old Dutchman pot. That is the sole plant, the only thing that a pot vine swallowtail will lay her eggs on. By the end of the summer, that thing looks horrible. I'm the happiest mama in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So your goal is to have your plants eaten. Got to eat them up. That's what they're there for. And (laughs) it doesn't matter. They only nectar on the flowers. The leaves are unimportant. They do not hurt the leaves whatsoever. These butterflies, they got so many plants in my backyard that they eat on. You know something else, Craig? Verbenas, beautiful creeping and hanging verbenas are native Georgia. We have a roadside tall stiff verbena. I have seen some of the most magnificent butterflies in the world. The flowers are like 
nothing, just a tiny little purple flower that's not even that pretty or hanging, lopping down thing. And I'll see a monarch have it weighing all the way down to the ground. Not just a monarch, all butterflies love it. Uh. And then you've got Joe Pye weed, ironweed. This is stuff that grows on the side of the road if it doesn't get sprayed and killed. That's some of the most beautiful monarch nectaring plants possible. I've had Joe Pieweed pictures of it with four or five packer swallowtails on it at one time uh, nectaring, just covered up, just fluttering back and forth. They don't have to have fancy plants. We can collect seeds from power lines out of the road. You're really knowledgeable and experienced uh, digging up our native plants is just a mistake because they're going to die. Right. It's rare you could ever dig one up and transplant it. In the fall, people can economically go collect seeds and cold stratify the seeds and put those seeds out in the spring and scatter them and grow your own plant. By cold stratifying, I mean put them in a paper sack in the refrigerator and mimic winter yeah. for them. Leave them there all winter and then bring them out in the spring and plant them? Yes, I plant a lot and growing medium, and it's almost time to do that, mm-hmm. I would definitely uh, leave them two or three months of mine. Because if you leave seeds out, they're going to wear themselves out. The heat inside your home, the heat even on the back porch, the sun porch that's heated in the sun, if you're not going to let them be outside, if you want to grow your own, grow your own seed and really start growing some wildflowers free. You know, you don't have to be rich to start a wildflower garden. Yeah. Now, I know you live in a subdivision. It's still rather rural, uh, the same with me. But what if you live in a densely populated city? If I did, I'd just have pots and pots. I see people on their back porches. They have window boxes. They have a little, small little place where they have chairs sitting outside their house. They've lived like that before. I would just have pot on top of pots everywhere growing seed plants or plants you buy at a nursery. There's all kind of hanging baskets. Butterflies don't care. You can draw them into the tiniest little garden in the world. You truly can. You can also have a little bird bath with a fountain. You would not believe how many insects and honeybees that'll get on that fountain and drink. If you grow the plants and the butterflies will come, you could be in the most densely populated city and have these container plants, and they'll still find their way to your backyard or your patio garden then. That's correct. They will. They'll find it. Just as much color as you can pack and contain in one area, the more color, the better. That's what draws them to begin with. I use a lot of orange, yellow, and red. Also, will have a lot of purple. We have some butterflies that are drawn to emerald. People have an herb garden. You can have pots of herbs. In a little patio garden, they have the little flowers that have little flat tops on them called emeralds. A lot of our little butterflies are drawn to that, and so are bees. So are ladybugs. Ladybugs have to have emeralds, mm-hmm. or they'll just fly away to my place and leave you. So tell people, don't buy ladybugs unless you've got the right plants to keep them, or they just fly away. <laughs> Find somebody that's got a bunch of herbs. You can have several pots of herbs and just blow your mind that you've also got everything some butterfly species need right there. All four things. they got a place to even raise their young. You can buy parsley. 
You can buy different kind of onion plants, allium, different beautiful herbs that you can put, basils. All of these herbs turn into flowers if you just grow them and pinch off the leaves and use them for cooking. Let them go to flower. They are going to attract so many butterflies. Don't have to have fancy color. I mean, they love those white flowers. I have white flowers out here covered in butterflies. Another reason to grow herbs. Creeping moss that we have, the purple. I know that that is what I grew up with. My mother always had. Mm -hmm. I have butterflies on that early spring laying on their sides nectar until they're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sight to see. They'll just be laying down on it. It's really beautiful. And, you know, that's not expensive. And it'll be the first thing in the spring you see is all that beautiful purple blooming moss. Huh. Creeping flocks. Yes, creeping flock. And that's native. Thrift. Thrift. That's what my mother used to call it, thrift. And, you know, I have woodland flocks out here, too. But you talking a magnet, you can draw them in the spring on that flocks, like unbelievable. And it is a free plant when you get that thing going. It will come back year after year and spreads for you. Oh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful flower in the spring and all summer, too. Talked about your mom growing that. Is that your earliest garden memory or what's your earliest garden memory? Oh, my mama grew so many beautiful plants. It's kind of funny. We had gardens, big gardens. We raised peanuts and cotton. My childhood memories are of the cornfields. Biggest pest in the cornfield for my dad and for most corn farmers is the passion vine that grows up on it. We called it the maypop. Yeah. You can eat the big seeds and beautiful flowers. Yeah. It's a, a native wild plant here. It's critically important to me in my backyard because species of butterflies called fritillaries. We have the spotted fritillary, great bangle fritillary, the gulf fritillary. It's unbelievable the species here of fritillaries. Folks can look those up, too, and see what a beautiful butterfly they are. The beautiful orange guff fritillary comes here by the hundreds. I raised the passion vines, let them grow up across the arbor. My mom and dad hated them tangling up on the corn stalk. Called them May Pops. My brothers would battle and hit us with those May Pops and explode <laughs> them. They're quite delicious. Guff fritillary lays her eggs on the very tip of the tendrils where she puts her eggs, and they will exfoliate an unbelievable arbor of the leaves of that passion flower. And it has big, beautiful purple flowers. Doesn't affect the flowers. Doesn't affect the fact that you've got the seed pods for next year. And it's always the hope and promise it'll be back. You'll never see more orange with black pointy Looks like stingers, but it's just something to protect themselves from birds getting eaten. You wouldn't believe hundreds of those fritillaries will be hanging on nothing left. I'll actually have to go to the one end of the yard, transplant caterpillars to different plants on the other end of the yard, just to try to feed them until they can go into chrysalis. I transplant caterpillars in my backyard all summer. And the vine doesn't look so great, but oh my, my, what it does create from its beauty. (laughs) For me, it needs to have some caterpillar damage for me to really love it. (laughs) I need to see the damage for sure. (laughs) What's the one thing, or maybe more than one, but what's the one thing that you can contribute to the success you have with your butterfly garden? Milkweed. I would encourage anybody to start with a milkweed garden. You could throw seeds and just get lots of flowers coming up. With a milkweed garden, that's the only thing that a monarchal area on. The chance of her coming more than just flitting through is remote. 
However, a person would have to understand that what the monarch's going to do with that has nothing to do with the flowers. We have some magnificent milkweeds that are native to our area in some just unbelievable colors, orange, yellow, deep reds, magenta, purple, light pinks, so many. There is not a butterfly that won't nectar on a milkweed plant. You're not just planting milkweed for the monarch. That milkweed plant, it's feeding wasps and honeybees and every possible species of butterfly all summer long. For me, I know it's the only thing a monarch will lay her eggs on, and that's the only butterfly that will lay her eggs on that plant. That is a magnificent nectar plant that comes back year after year. Think of things that people can plant that will be their bones of that butterfly garden. Mm -hmm. That would be one of the things you would want to do, like the uh, creeping flocks. Those can be bones, the things that will entice butterflies to come back. You don't have to plant them but one time. You get them established, they're there forever. You can count on that in the spring. I have our native petunia, and I have a sea of purple that starts in the spring. Pentsimmon, oh my, I can't tell you how many pentsimmon. In early spring, my backyard is purple. Beautiful yellow sulfurs are all over it early. The cabbage whites, the tiger swallowtails come in really early in March and April don't even plant the zinnia seeds till late April after all danger of frost. What you've got to have is the bones that will get them in here because they're already getting active. Once it reaches 70 degrees, they're going to become very active in your backyard. So we just have so many native plants. They reseed, they come back on their own year after year. You want to start out with some bones. I can honestly say for me, the bones is the milkweed plant, because when those monarchs come through in early March, they will lay eggs on plants that are not even two inches out of the ground. Wow. It's it's fascinating. If I'm understanding you correctly, need blooms early spring to late fall? Yes, indeed. And I have sulfurs out here now, and guess what they're on? They're on camellia blooms, the blossoms of camellias, and they're on the little orange quince flowers. Yeah. The little yellow sulfurs are out here in cold weather on those. It blows my mind. Today, I think we're probably in our 50s and it's overcast and had some really, really cold days before this. And, and we're talking about in January. You've got butterflies in your garden. I have right now. I've got little sulfurs. They are sturdy little butterfly. Most butterflies aren't crazy about overcast. Usually around 10 o'clock in the morning, let that sun come out. Honestly, I have butterflies year-round. Wow. We have a beautiful little blue azure. I bet a lot of people don't know where the host plant for a little blue azure is, is our native dogwoods. That signifies spring to most people when they see that little, little tiny blue azure. Yeah, a dogwood, native dogwood. They won't lay their egg on these non-native species of dogwood. What projects do you work on in the winter to build your garden? I constantly start milkweed on my back porch. I have grow lights. I grow them in trays because storing seeds is just sketchy. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult. I mean, I know some milkweed come up from seeds out here, but I collect my seeds. That way I grow them in little containers. I don't buy those little hard cups. How about like peat pots? I guess that is peat, isn't it? The thing about milkweed is I would discourage anybody from doing that. I do the milkweed with even solo cups with a little bitty hole in the bottom. Save all of my gallon jugs, milk jugs, water jugs, whatever. And I 
cut the top off and leave just the hinge where the handle is, cut it in half, fill it full of soil, and plant my milkweed seed. I use duct tape and tape around it and write the species on it. Cap, don't go on it. Water can come in. They're protected. They can start growing by early spring. I'm ready to put out new growth of milkweed outside. With a peat pack, the reason you don't want to do that is the milkweed's going to shoot up fast and it's going to have a long root. It's not got very far to go and it will fall over. You'll have a whole big tray of milkweed that has crashed on you. They really need to grow in a lot of soil. I'll use a plastic fork, dig them out when they're big enough for me to transplant the weather's right. I'll have my place prepared for them. I just take a fork and take them out one or two at a time, transplant them, and put them in my yard. That's the way to make milkweed survive. It's it's not as simple as throwing seeds because the wind's going to get them, bird's going to get them. They rarely will make it overwintering. You know, you want to help them along. You're starting them, then how many months or days before you put it outside? And then what kind of weather does it need to be outside? I won't put my young plants out until the end of April, till all danger of frost is past. Because they're tender. All around March and April is when the sturdy ones start popping out of the ground. So these are very tender, and you, you're going to have to harden them off a little. Okay. What I do, I line milk jugs up with them everywhere, water bottles, you name it. I cut the tops off, stick a two or three seeds in a regular little 12-ounce water bottle, and duct tape around it and write on the side what it is and set it out there. It can get cool, sun warms it up. It mimics really the winter, but you're controlling and keeping your eye on your plants, you know. <laughs> then I wait and I put them out later in April when no really hard frost is going to hit them because when you take them out, they're really not hardened off that well. They need a little babying. I'm able to make sure they don't dry out too fast. How do you harvest the seed? be able to see your milkweed pods start getting ready to pop open. They have the little silk on each seed that sends them out flying through the air. You want to grab them. What I do like to do, and I can keep milkweed beetles off of them. They love to eat them, and they love to eat the whole seed pot up. I put the little pantyhose and tie little knee-high pantyhose on them. Mm-hmm. That will keep them from all flying away. A lot of times, that's how I collect them. If I see them pop open and the little brown seeds about to hightail it on me, I grab those, put them in a regular mail envelope and paper, fill them up and write the species the plant is on them, and I overwinter them in the refrigerator to get them out and get them in some soil. And you could buy some really good starter soil yeah. at various nurseries and so forth. But milk jugs and water jugs and that type of stuff, you're giving it an element of protection, but your seed is getting some cold weather, too, out here. They'll start sprouting really fast, early March, even if there's snow on the ground, you'll see them. But they warm up from the sun in the plastic jugs. And actually, the clear versus opaque is better. I like to buy water in the, you know, you'll get the water in the clear jugs. Very inexpensive to buy water in clear jugs. Just repurpose that jug. I like to use those a lot just so I can collect the jugs. How many seeds would you put in a gallon? And you can grow quite a few milkweed in one. Gallon jug will grow 10 milkweed easy. What are some of your favorite butterflies? Which ones really get you excited? You should know the monarch. We talked about that. My number two favorite of all is pipe vine swallowtail. It is host-specific to a pipe vine plant. It is a vine, of course, 
and it's on the back of my fireplace. I can sit and watch the pipeline when she comes in and starts laying eggs. That butterfly, the male, is a black with color of the Caribbean velvet back on it. The most beautiful butterfly, and it lays a patch of little eggs, and they're burgundy looking on the back of the leaf. When those things start growing, they are so comical because you can hear them eating. They're a ferocious, big caterpillar, big as my thumb, and they're uh, black with reddish-looking dots on them. They are amazing. You can hear them eat. I promise. They just gnaw my pipevine plant to the ground. They are so ferocious. They actually are cannibals. They run out of food. They'll eat each other. Really? Yes. I don't know of any other butterfly that does that. That butterfly, oh my goodness, what a beautiful butterfly. Tell you something interesting in my backyard. Birds, of course, can't eat monarchs. They won't go near them because they're distasteful. Actually, they make them deathly ill and actually vomit. They won't touch caterpillars. They won't touch the butterfly either. When you have a lot of monarch, you're going to spend a lot of black butterflies. Birds won't go near them. When you have a lot of black butterflies, and I have those pipe vines, I have black swallowtails, and I have the giant swallowtails, a whole lot of black, much black. My tiger swallowtails, the male is beautiful yellow with black. He's quite large, and he's the Georgia State butterfly. He will morph and become blacker and blacker. I will have less male yellows. The females come in more of a black or blue, very little yellow. They're not quite as beautiful as the male. Because of that, they morph. I have a lot of black. Mm -hmm. So they're protected from birds in my backyard. It's just fascinating to know that they do that. I have that giant yellow tiger swallowtail. It barely has any yellow at all. It morphed and gotten so black. That is just fascinating to me. Of course, I love the tiger swallowtail. I have also spice bush swallowtail. Spice bush is a Georgia native shrub, and also they'll lay their eggs on a sassafras. So if you have a sassafras tree, they love that too. But um, mm-hmm. they, uh, they're they another beautiful butterfly that you can spot them in your backyard because they're the swallowtail that's nervous. That's what I like to tell people, how you can identify the spice bush. Her back, she doesn't relax and let you see how beautiful the bluish gray velvety back is on that butterfly. The back of the wings are so beautiful Mm -hmm. and they're a light bluish gray. If you try to figure out and identify, that is one good way. Of course, you know, every swallowtail species are just magnificent. The spice bush is a major fluttering. She's nervous. And kids will say, Miss Gill, how do you know that's a spice tail? And I'll say, well, you see how nervous she is? She won't be still and she won't keep her wings still. <laughs> no, that's how I identify, you know, because you can't always see the back of that one's wings and tail because she doesn't relax that much like she does here. Yeah, that pipe vine next to that, of course, the The giant swallowtail, I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And to have it come up this far from Florida in our backyard, this is South Georgia butterfly. It is the largest butterfly in Georgia, the very biggest. And it is massive, six to eight inch wingspan, Craig. That's a big butterfly. Wow. I don't know that I've ever seen that. I call butterflies all she's. She has a wide band of yellow coming at an angle on the back of each wing. Yeah. I have a hop tree for her, and I have prickly ash. I don't know if you've ever seen it 
Indians called it the toothache tree, and the old folks did too. The entire trunk, bark, everything has thorns. It grows to be a massive tree. That one and the hop tree, our tiger swallowtails will lay their eggs on as well. They've never truly seen a tiger swallowtail caterpillar, and they look at it in a picture and look at it online. They think, you know, yeah, that's a caterpillar. You know, it was a long time into my growing up years and and watching Mama raise flowers, growing the passion for flowers that she instilled in all three of us girls. That caterpillar is eight to ten inches. Massive. Yeah. That's a huge caterpillar for me. That is the biggest caterpillar I've ever seen in my life. And it's green. It's huge. And that's a tiger. And it is a huge, I have pictures of it creeping on a limb. And at night, it folds the leaves of a hop tree around its body and uses a little webbing of silk to hold it and hide it for the nighttime. It's just fascinating. Needless to say, I never cease being fascinated with this life cycle. Mm-hmm. When you go to buy a new shrub, get it native. I think most garden centers will get you these things. That's what I try to encourage people to do. I mean, I understand. I couldn't afford to go out here and take down every non-native thing I had. A few things that aren't invasive and noxious invasive are fine. I've got camellias. Add a little something new. Think, now, what should I put there? Shouldn't this be something that the butterflies would lay their eggs on? Because it would blow people's minds, the trees and shrubs, if they could add that are gorgeous, would be just as pretty and would uh, be a home and a food source. Not just native butterflies, but also birds and all insects. That's usually what I try to encourage people to do, because I certainly understand that you can't just start a clean slate and it doesn't require it. Pick a spot in your yard, bright sunshine, find a good most of the day sun. The smallest place or the largest you think you can handle and designate that the spot this spring, you're going to start a butterfly garden. This has been episode 68, attracting more butterflies to your garden with Gail Woody and is an updated and remix of episode two. Thank you, Gail. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.